and welcome to the weekly summaries of the Good Shepherd Bible Study. I am your host, Miller Ansel, the church planning intern. We are a Bible study and longing to be a church plant of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church here in Southwest Houston. So if you're in Southwest Houston, we meet in Stafford at 3211 South Main Street in a church building called Grace Center. We'd love to have you out. Also, please check out our website at gsbiblestudy.org, as well as like us on Facebook at Southwest Houston Reformed. Here's the 13th and final installment of our Sermon on the Mount series. Finishing up here, Matthew 7, 13 through 29. We know a lot of sermons uh, today and really since revival times, the 19th century, have called for decisions. Of course, that's not all that sermons do. Sermons teach and rebuke and train in righteousness and so on. Uh, and Jesus does these things on the Sermon on the Mount. But he also does call for a decision to be made. There's a choice to be made. Um... Does the sermon make a difference in our lives? Or if Jesus were preaching at our church, we would just walk out, shake his hand, and say, thank you, pastor, for the sermon, and then forget all about it. So he calls for a decision to be made. We see that in verses 13 and 14 here in our relationship to fellow pilgrims where Christ says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So there's a choice to be made here. Which gate will it be? Which road? Who will be your companions? And what will be your destination? The broad road can be very tempting. Uh, once you enter the narrow road, there's trial, there's tribulation. Uh, so the broad road looks kind of nice. But remember... Your destination, the narrow road, has its destination, uh, life. And that's what we strive for, is that eternal life rather than death. We could say that the road is narrow. There's no room for your pride. There's no room for arrogance, uh, your works. So the narrow road calls us to be meek and humble, as Christ has already called us to be. The narrow road is not popular. Few find it. You say, what about my self-esteem? Uh, there's no room for self-esteem. There is room for God-esteem only on the narrow road. Uh, but it's not all bad on the narrow road. It's really the kingdom of God, uh, which is incredible, with our perfect king. And life that we experience on the narrow road is uh, full of excitement, for sure. Uh, it may not look great from the outside, but inside, on the narrow road, knowing that you have Christ as your hope, and that you're going towards life is incredibly helpful on this path. In 15 through 20, we have our relationship to false prophets. Christ says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So beware of the false prophets. As a reminder, uh, prophets in general, they're not just simply foretellers. Uh, They are forthtellers. They are men who receive a word from the Lord that they are to give to God's people. Versus a false prophet who twists God's word or contradicts it. Well, how do we recognize a false prophet? Uh, Three ways. First, by his attitude toward the people of God. We've talked a lot about hypocrites. Hypocrites are goats in sheep's clothing. But the false prophet is a wolf in sheep's clothing, which is far more dangerous. The false prophet's attitude towards the people of God is to devour them. He's not willing to lay down his life for the sheep, but he is a wolf that feeds upon them. And of course, that Good Shepherd Bible study or Good Shepherd worship services as we're going into to worship. Um, what does the Good Shepherd do? He keeps the wolves away. So beware of false prophets. You recognize them by their attitude towards the people of God. Secondly, by the fruit of their teaching. Uh, they might disguise themselves in sheep attire, uh, but like a tree, they cannot stay disguised for long. Uh, no matter how much you tell me that apple tree is actually a lemon tree, uh, when I examine the fruit, I know that's not true. And you examine the fruit of these false teachers, you examine their character. You examine their teaching, and you examine the lives of their followers. What is their fruit? Is it piety, humility, charity, holiness, and love? Or is it pride, worldliness, contentiousness? Are they unjust and uncharitable? So we recognize these false teachers by the fruit of their teaching, and thirdly, by their priorities. Uh, It seems from Christ's words... In the next section, 21 and 23, some false prophets have gifts, or at least appear to have gifts, similar to Balaam and Saul in the Old Testament, uh, but they substitute these gifts for grace. And so they are very deceptive. They appear to have spiritual gifts when they really are faking it and have none. So what's the best safeguard against false teaching? If you don't want to fall prey to these false teachers, it's scripture, study, the scriptures, read your Bible, is the greatest uh, way to guard against these wolves in sheep's clothing. Also, it's great to have a confession. The Westminster Confession of Faith is an incredible guide also, as it is a summary of the Word of God, not on par with it. Of course, we call it a secondary standard because it's underneath the Word of God. But those two together, the scriptures and the Westminster Confession, Uh, will guard you against the false teaching of these wolves. Next, in 21 through 29, we see our relationship to our Lord. And here Christ says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. 
When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus teaches us here in 21 through 27 that a mere outward observance of religion is useless. We don't just make a profession of faith, but we make a practice of our faith as well. And so this question is left for us to answer at the conclusion of Jesus' sermon. Will we put this sermon into practice? Or are we going to shake his hand as we walk out of the church building and say, thank you for the sermon, and ignore it? Will the teachings of Christ be your foundation, or will you build a foundationless house? You know, many sermons at the end, we are left smiling. Oftentimes, we hear the gospel at the end of a sermon. Uh, we're smiling. That is good news. We're excited. Not Jesus' sermon here. Uh, and he's preaching to the church. Don't forget that. And he's saying that the church will be purged. He's saying that the tares will be destroyed. We're not left smiling, but we're left seriously contemplating where we stand in relationship to the Lord. So the Sermon on the Mount finishes with that question, where do you stand?